Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Yard Sign, the most important and relevant podcast in politics. Your host, as always, Johnny Torres. Thank you so much for watching. Got plenty to talk about. Uh, there's just so much going on. So, of course, uh, as we are now kind of making the habit of, uh, at the end of the show, we'll also tell you what other stories we're watching to kind of keep you in the loop on what's going on. Let's start off with today's topics. Uh, President Trump signs a big executive order uh, giving relief to those affected by the coronavirus. Uh, and of course, does not come without criticism from those on the left. The Beirut port explosion. Uh, we'll kind of pick that situation apart and the fallout coming from it. Uh, and we'll uh, revisit Biden's VP pick as we get closer to an announcement. Some are saying maybe even as early as this week. Um, and uh, primary elections, you know, plenty of that going on. Uh, we'll kind of pick apart what's not only happening uh, federally, but also statewide and locally, and then talk about uh, what uh, the 2020 election is going to look like. So who's going to be uh, putting in their two cents today? Joining me, uh, we got a pretty stable crew uh, of uh, in the cast today. Right next to me, Chris Licata. What's up, Chris? Chris Verkylin, right beneath me. Yo! So, <laughs> and uh, across from me, as always, Anibal David Cabrera. What's up, buddy? Uh, so, uh, apparently Chris, uh, Verkylin and I were left out of the hat memo. So, but, uh, we'll just proceed as expected. Uh, we, we, we have better hair than both of them anyways, right, Verkylin? For the time being. <laughs> Careful, mine's kind of thinning over here on this side. Um, I'm not taking my hat off. It's not a good day. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't know. In, in, in some cases, I would say somewhat surprisingly, uh, you know, President Trump, you know, now kind of. Uh, I would say in the latter part of the, his first term, uh, relying on the executive orders quite a bit, pushing through this coronavirus uh, relief executive order. Obviously, the Democrats are not sure how hard to push back on this because Americans do need this type of support uh, right now, uh, you know, regardless of whether you're working, not working, business owner, um, or simply unemployed. Uh, it, do you guys think that this is uh, something that, uh, again, it is going to be well received in the community. What have you kind of heard is in response to uh, this executive order? Uh, Lakata, go ahead, take. It. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I have a few there. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, um, yeah, no. Well, so it was four different executive orders. Um, I think that was a good way to structure it as, as four different things. So, from a from a legal standpoint, you can you have to challenge them independently challenging one of them doesn't challenge all of them. Um, uh, they range in kind of how much uh, authority he actually has there. Um, and yeah, I think you kind of hit the, the nail on the head. It's like, okay, well, does he, how much do Democrats actually want to challenge him on this? Um, you know, and how, how constitutional is it? The, the big thing for people to understand for the average Joe, uh, uh, Joe and Jane to, to figure out is their employer can make a decision on whether or not to defer their taxes and they can actually request for their to their employer to defer their their uh their withholdings and they just have to understand that there is a possibility that they will owe that come april um you know I, but my wife and i had this conversation i said yeah no tell tell your employer you know go ahead and defer your uh your, your, your taxes and we'll deal with that later because we, we prefer to have the cash now. Um, so well, that, that's, in that regard, uh, Anibal, I know you have uh, some background in, in working with tax services and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, what's been the response, you know, from business owners and, and individuals in that sense? A lot of people are still concerned about actually the PPP that was not extended. It ended on the eighth. And I think what's going to happen now with, I think this was almost like a shot across the bow when it comes to the Trump administration, telling the the House Democrats and Republicans that they need to get their they need to get their issue in order. This is absolutely ridiculous that they allowed for the unemployment to go off. They allowed for PPP to go over. They they did not allow for uh, the the conversation never got started really in negotiations. Republicans wanted two hundred dollars a month for unemployment. Republican or Democrats wanted six hundred. And we're somewhere in the we're in the middle with the executive order at four hundred dollars a month, uh, include on top of what is already provided by the states when it comes to unemployment benefits, and that's three that's thirty million people that are receiving unemployment benefits at the moment. 
Um, yes, we had a great jobs report last month with a 1.8, I believe, that got added onto the onto the unemployment. We're almost at under. We should be under 10% come next month. But this actions had to be taken now, and I, I agree with Lakata that I don't think these. I think two of them probably will not stand. Uh, I think he's able to do the payroll thing on his own, and I think he's able to do the um, the student uh, student loan forgiving uh, student loan hold off until December. But I don't think I think it's very difficult for him to do the unemployment and the uh, evictions. I think that's a, more of a government thing that has to get done. It has to get legislated, and you heard that over the weekend. Well, I mean, in my opinion, I think, you know, in terms of uh, eviction moratoriums um, and, you know, the, the financial relief in terms of, you know, financial support for people out there affected by are the more important ones. I mean, let's be honest, if you're paying your student loan bills, yeah, it's great that you get a little bit, bit of breathing room on there, but you have a lot of people who aren't paying those. And that, again, applies to a fraction of, uh, of the country, you know, in terms of student loan, uh, uh, outstanding student loans anyways. Um, and again, the tax, you know, uh, payroll taxes, I mean, if you're unemployed, you, I mean, it doesn't do you any good either there. So to me, the two more- But this, hits, but this hits all of the things. Like you're hitting multiple groups of people, those employed, those unemployed, those student, uh, students that need reprieve, that it hits a lot of people. So this is a broad coalition of people that the president is directly impacting, which I think is important. But I also don't think these people are gonna vote for him at the end of the day. So I feel that the Senate and the House are gonna have to step in and get this stuff legislated. But I think this is just more of a marker of this is what the president wants and how are you guys gonna get there? No, yeah, no, I don't disagree. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, that hopefully Democrats will push back on on some of the other ones. You know, I know their main concern is the payroll tax being that they, they feel that it's going to put uh, a big dent in the Social Security uh, budget. And uh, I mean, we're already uh, way, you know, behind budget on, on uh, making Social Security uh, uh, even in the black. So, you know, that's, that's, in my opinion, almost a lost cause anyways. But Kylan, I mean, uh, were you surprised that he kind of, you know, just sidestepped Congress uh, on this and didn't give him some more time to figure it out? I mean, maybe he was studying Barack Obama's playbook. I mean, this is a frequent tactic of his towards the end of his presidency. He just didn't give a damn. He was like, I'm going to govern with my, my phone and a, and a pen. Uh, so that was essentially... As far as the legality and procedural uh, correctness of this, I don't like it. Um, politically, it is genius to put Democrats in a position where they have to say, no, you cannot help America unless you fund the post office and all these other nonsense uh, pork products. Um, I will say I agree it with It was Anima. even more ridiculous than that, if I can jump in real fast, Chris. It was more no, ridiculous ahead. than that. There was, there was parts in the, in the Democrat version of the bill that they, they weren't saying, oh, fund the post office. They were saying, no, 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 you have to make the signatures on ballots illegal. Like, like it had, it, some of it had nothing to do with funding. It had everything to do with, with political games, games on the upcoming election. So it's no wonder that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the, the relief that a, a, you know, deferment on, on taxes, on payroll taxes does and a, um, and unemployment benefits, uh, I think the American people will be okay. The big thing I think is going to be, for, if we're trying to stave off a, an economic situation that, that snowballs out of control very quickly, is if we don't get in front of the, the rent crisis, and that, that's what I think right. he's trying to do with the, the, the uh, rent eviction. Um, eviction moratorium, because if, if people, uh, the, the numbers are one third of renters are behind on rent payments. If you have it's a twofold third. problem. It's a twofold problem because not only are renters not paying and getting evicted, you're going to have property owners who aren't paying mortgages. So that's an even exactly. bigger issue that is behind that, in my opinion. Um, but the banks will take the initiative not to pull the, the underlining loans for the owners of the property. As long as there are people in the units, then they are allowed to continue to to basically say what they want to do when it comes to rent. That, and because that's going to be the value. Yeah, it's a trickle down situation, but the problem, the 
first stop is the banks that won't call for the loans. And yeah, so that's, that's going to be a case by case basis. And I bet you right now, because look, right now, this is a very precarious situation we're in. Uh, I mean, I think the stock market's inflated, the housing market's inflated. Um, you know, our entire yeah. economy right now is in a, in a huge bubble. Because when all of a sudden all of these programs run out, these moratorium, these moratoriums, these cuts, um, it, it, the, the ground is just going to fall out from underneath all of this. And it's going to be a huge, huge problem on our hands. Uh, I mean, that, that I think could make the housing crash in 2007 and 8 look, I mean, like Candyland. Um, well, I, 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 I wish I could agree with you, but I just, I just don't see it. In regards to the housing situation, you saw such a pent up demand with us just getting it off the books after three months. And now you have the, the fact that there is not enough inventory to meet the demands that are happening right now. In yeah, the but the inventory, that, that's, that's a lack local. of inventory is, is also- No, that's national. No, it is a national thing. Um, but the lack of inventory, it doesn't mean the housing market's hot. It means that people are scared to sell their house. And people are not putting their homes on the market because they don't know if they're going to have a job in the next few months. Um, there are people that have been out of work for a number of months. And so there's no inventory going into the market. It's not that it, it's and, and what is selling is just being offloaded. I mean, people are just taking, you know, they're, they're getting money. I mean, they're, you know, they're making a profit. Um, but, you know, investors are unloading their properties as, as quickly as possible because, again, they know that the bottom is going to fall out, especially when you're talking about ending the moratorium on, on evictions. Um, they've got, I think right now, just in Hillsborough County, they've got over 5,000 cases waiting um, in, in evictions court. And, and that's going to be devastating to the housing market just in Hillsborough County. I would, I would agree with you if we weren't having about 1,200 people moving into the county every single month. There is a drain coming out of the northern and, and east and west coast states, and that is driving the economic growth in the southern and midwest states and cities because of that influx of new money and new individuals. I, am, I, I can think on, in the last month, I think 12 of my friends are, are either selling their house or selling yeah. one or the second homes so that to, they're to able to move. Around, to, to bring it back around in evil is, you know, yes, there's, there's a lot of movement going around in, within the country and some states will benefit than others. But uh, overall, I think what, what Johnny's point here is, is like there, there is a bubble and nationally, we, if we don't get in front of this, this rental situation, it, it does impact the the landlords which impacts the banks which impacts you know uh, it, it's all downstream from there and then you have a, a real runaway on real estate so i, I think the the biggest one the, the one that's actually going to be the most important and is questionable the, the most questionable is his national eviction moratorium um and, and that, i think at the end of the day economically that that is the biggest the biggest one because he's trying to get ahead of this bubble he's trying to get prevent a snowball from from forming and rolling down the hill and, and crushing I don't all think, of us. And I don't think he has the um, the powers to actually ha ask for that. I think it's going to have to go through the House and the Senate legislatively for the moratorium when it comes to evictions. But again, I, I need to look at the information and data more closely in regards to homeowners that are having issues keeping up with their mortgages than renters keeping up with their mortgages. Because what renters... Mm -hmm. Those facilities and those properties have a lot more leverage and dispersed risk, whereas mortgage owners, uh, holders do not have the kind of uh, lax risk that property owners do when it comes to rental facilities. Uh, that's, that's very true. I'm going to push back on you, Chris and Johnny, a little bit. As far as the whole bubble uh, thesis you have, um, in February, we had the best economy mankind has ever seen. So, of course, we've uh, inflated our way out of it to a certain degree with printing money. Um, but I think that the, the bulwark we have is the reignition of that economy because the, the fragments, the elements of what made us so great and so successful are still there. They're impeded right now, but they're still there. So, so I disagree with you, Neil, as far as what the government should do to fix it. Um, the government currently now is currently strangling the economy, but the legislature, the legislature with uh, some of the 
fixes they propose is like putting an oxygen mask on your nose while strangling you. So if you just stop strangling the economy, then we can fix it in that manner. The job, the, the government is not to put band-aids everywhere. It's to get the hell out of the way and let America m make money and earn uh, and produce goods and services the way we've always done it. And I yeah, agree you know, the, in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, this is the thing though. And actually some news just came out about, you know, Walt Disney World, in fact, cutting its hours because even though they have reopened, they are still not getting the response that they were expecting, um, you know, in the reopening. And so even though they've said, hey, you, you know, it's open season at Disney, um, people are still not traveling. People are still afraid, you know, to leave their houses. Um, you know, you're seeing it in salons, you're seeing it in restaurants, you know, where they're open for business. And even at a limited capacity, they're still not getting the response that they were expecting. And so there's going to be a huge curve here that we're going to have to go through before we get any back to any type of normality. Because I think even if you were to just open everything back up right now, I think there is such an apprehension still in the psyche by people who are afraid to get sick by the coronavirus that, um, that this economy is not going to recover anywhere near as quickly as we anticipated you know, months ago, thinking that this was just going to be like a short thing. Um, <clears throat> all right. On that note, we're going to well, go. No, that's the news, that We can't control the news. Yeah. And also, I would say that economically, it has rebounded pretty significantly compared to where we were at the end of March. Uh, the market has regained. Uh, housing, market, housing prices have regained. We are, are about maybe two or three months away from being back into the em employment numbers that we wanted to before the election, which, again, the fact that everything happened so early into this into this past year is going to help the president in regards to re-election when jobs are coming back when again when was it last month alone we had almost three million new jobs get recreated and so like it's not people are getting back to it they're figuring out how to work from home they're figuring out what to do if they were in the service industry and all that just takes time to flush its way out and again we're only in august we still have a few more months of positive economic growth to be able to push the president forward if I could have a closing note here, and I just wanted to clarify, when I was talking about the bubble, what I'm saying is that there, there are several people who are behind on rent payments. And, and what Anibal's saying is that there are people behind on mortgage payments. Two different so that, things. And two different things, but nevertheless, people behind on payments who are not being evicted or not being foreclosed on, all right? And then that, that protection goes away now you have a large sum of people because they're still behind unless their lender is working with them to catch them up, unless they get reemployed soon. If they continue being unemployed and the unemployment benefit runs out and they're behind on that payment, then they're getting evicted, right? Or they're getting foreclosed on e either way. And, and that creates a bubble that's going to pop in the, in the real estate market and in the in the renters market the two different markets but they they affect each other a lot and then that has as we saw in 2008 that has an overall effect on the stock market as a whole well, the bank system in the united states have gone through multiple stress tests which is the reason why the economy is doing so well as it is right now compared to where other parts of the world could have completely collapsed but there are also safeguards and stop gaps in the banking system for mortgage back securities to allow for it not to escalate out of control again. So I don't know much about the rental market, but I do know about the mortgage industry. And that what I'm saying there is that banks are almost compelled by the government new regulations that were passed um, a few years ago, requiring them to facilitate uh, additional um, documentation and to be able to provide the instruments so that they're able to stay in their homes for much longer. So it's no longer three months and then the, the bottom falls out. It's almost like a six month to nine month process now. And again, I think the government will get into, into this and will fix, um, will push for the moratorium to push for uh, past the election. All right, guys. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, again, lots to talk about. We've got uh, the uh, executive orders, which we just discussed. Um, in uh, just a second, we're going to be talking about the Beirut port explosion and the political uh, and geopolitical fallout from that. And uh, just a bit, talking about BP's Biden pick uh, or Biden's VP pick. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, we're expecting an announcement, maybe even as early as this week. Sorry, I keep shaking the table here. Um, and then, uh, of course, the other primary elections happening uh, both locally, statewide, and nationally. 
Um, guys, this Beirut uh, port explosion, I mean, it, it, of course, as expected, given the density of uh, cameras nowadays, we've seen so many different angles of this. Um, we're even seeing conspiracy videos now of, of, of this. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible tragedy that happened there. And of course, you know, Burke Island's got it there in the background. Um, but it's, let's first talk about the incident. I mean, this is something that the political community has known about for uh, quite some time. And just basically kind of like what happened here. And I'm not saying this was a terrorist incident. Uh, there's some speculation about that. Um, but like, you know, they, the, 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 it seems like the government here in, in Lebanon was just kind of looking the other way and just like, oh, it's fine. It, it, it's, it's no big deal. Nothing's going to happen. And, and sure enough, um, the worst scenario happens here. Um, you know, now we have protests. Uh, where, where do you think this is all stemming from? Do you think this was just negligence and an accident? Um, do you think there's, there's something far more sinister here at hand? We'll start with you, Collins, since you, uh, you've got the backdrop. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a tragedy. Look at, I mean, all behind there was a lot of business residential uh, neighborhoods. So it's very when we when I first saw it, Anibal and I saw it at the same time, uh, close to it, and I thought it had maybe the hallmarks of a nuclear explosion, like a tactical nuke. Obviously, we don't see that kind of mushroom cloud from uh, conventional explosives very often. Um, but knowing that Hezbollah is a big player in Lebanon and knowing that these people have a, a penchant to put things like this underground, like Chris is going to say, they have a, a tendency to hide uh, these kind of operations underneath normal looking fronts. I would not be surprised at all if someone said this is a Hezbollah bomb factory, but I do think there's a vested interest in people covering that up in the name of stability. No, look, I mean, again, we, we may never know, given just the, the size of, of the implosion or explosion uh, there, we may know, never know the true, you know, reason that uh, it, it occurred. Um, you know, you want to obviously assume the best in the scenario that it was maybe just an accident that, you know, went awry. Worst case scenario, this was, you know, obviously some sort of uh, kind of terrorist operation, you know, at hand there. Uh, you know, we there is a video that was going viral where a couple of guys, you know, were out in the streets saying that they saw, you know, what looked like military aircraft uh, headed towards that very location just minutes before uh, the explosion. And Ebo, what do you think is going on there? So I want to say that this is probably more human error and uh, massive tragedy that could have been uh, prevented if the amount of corruption in the, in the uh, Lebanon government uh, was able to be stemmed. Uh, Chris has already made the comments about Hezbollah being very involved in the current regime, which I agree, it's outrageous to see this happening. There are documents from government officials as of seven years ago talking about the, uh, um, the chemicals and fertilizer um, that was in that particular side of the warehouse. So if you really do just look at the picture that we're seeing right here, you can see the 85% of Lebanon's uh, grain um, food was in those par uh, in those um, in that little tower, that brick tower there. So right there, the entire nation is going to be having a food shortage uh, in the next few weeks. If you keep on looking back, there was there were I think 25 different forms of warehouses before you see that highway splitting the port to the uh, commercial and residential zones of the communities. Now, documentation shows that there were, half of the warehouse was used for storage for uh, fireworks facilities, and then the other half of the warehouse was used, was stored for, I think, almost 200 tons of fertilizer, hence the crater that was created. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if this is, at the end of the day, a human error, but this is corruption at the finest. The ship that had the uh, fertilizer was confiscated because it didn't have the right paperwork. No one ever wanted to deal with it because they didn't want to move it. I wouldn't be surprised the amount that was originally there is no longer the amount before the explosion because you use those chemicals for explosives. So again, all of this is just complete human error and to show what happens when an inept 
government is uh, responsible for the safety of their people. And again, what's happening now is the entire Lebanon government collapsed uh, today. The prime minister has resigned, the entire cabinet has resigned, and the way the structure is in that country is where, and it's almost like it was created because of how sectarian that region is. Uh, the president of uh, Lebanon is, uh, I think, is the pre is Christian, and then like the person that's head of the this like the speaker, our version of the speaker of the house, and the prime minister is a Sunni and Shiite. So that form of government, I think, the young people and in general, the population just doesn't want that system anymore. But it's almost, I would say, it's almost impossible to see it not have that system because of how divisive the country is, and it's very dangerous right now to see the government collapse and see what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. Yeah, I, and evil kind of took my thunder there is uh, th that's 110% right. Anyone who, who you know, uh, knows uh, foreign diplomacy and, and foreign, you know, uh, events and studies that stuff for fun, like me and an evil do, uh, understand that, that Lebanon's a very interesting country. It has a, it, it's had a civil war. Um, it, um, yeah, so so they have a bunch of different you know sects inside the country, a lot of different groups. So they formed this this very interesting and complex uh, government to be a unified state, uh, and they've had a civil war before. And I think the fear over the next twenty four hours is number one, if if this explosion was originally, let me back up a little bit. Originally, the fear was okay. They they think it was Israel. And you know, a war with Israel could could have happened, and and I think now they're turning inward, and they're, they're, the concern is, okay, was this one of the the twenty seven different groups, one of which is Hezbollah, right? So uh, you know, and now with everyone resigning, now you have a, a different situation where you're going to have a, a power struggle, and uh, it's it's not good. It's not good for for the integrity of the unified state of of Lebanon, um, and uh, and we're probably just going to see more violence because of it, unless they can they can hold snap elections quickly and efficiently, and and you know maybe move forward. But they've been calling um, for they've had an anti-corruption campaign. The people of Lebanon have had an anti-corruption campaign for the last few years that has gone very little reported. Um, so there was there was a lot of talk in certain circles that, that we could see something similar to the Arab Spring in Lebanon uh, this year or next. Um, and of course, this has just expedited that process. It's, well, expedited, real quick. But it's also caused a huge problem economically. The government could only muster, I think, $60 million to help reconstruction, which is probably going to cost about 5 to $10 billion. And the, I mean, you saw the first uh, international government official was the president of France. I was very surprised to see him on the streets of uh, Beirut. I think uh, I think a, few, like a day or two after the disaster, talking about how there needs to be change, uh, we will come in and help, but unless there's some kind of of change in the, in the government, they weren't going to help. And so, and, and they're not even wanting to put money in the government; they want it all to go to NGOs. And you have to remember, Lebanon is a former uh, French possession, so um, not actually surprised to see uh, France's involvement, especially with the new Francosphere um uh model that they're having I, I think france might if france might actually get very heavily involved and that might be good for the at least the, the continued unity of the state thanks again for watching the yard sign the most important relevant podcast in uh, politics so uh, we've got a couple more topics to go thank you so much for watching please let us know in the comments section if there's a particular story you'd like us to discuss uh and uh you know we'd love to have you following us on our uh, audio version of the podcast, which is on Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcast platforms. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube as well in case you missed any uh, of our previous episodes or maybe didn't catch all this episode. Uh, guys, uh, let's go ahead and bring it home here to kind of our national politics. Um, first, uh, going with Hyden Biden, you know, who uh, again, still refuses to come out from uh, his basement. Um, the big news is that he may be making his VP pick this week. We talked uh, quite in depth about it last week, you know, but it, we seem to be hearing a lot of the same names um, now here kind of coming into the final stretch. This is typically something that 
is done right around uh, the national convention time. So the timing is certainly lining up for an announcement. Um, now, some of the names we're hearing is, uh, I keep wanting to say Condoleezza, but it's Susan Rice. Uh, you know, we got Kamala Harris. Uh, Val Demings uh, still kind of getting thrown around in there. And now the new one, which, you know, has been funny. And I think this one would, was definitely a, a, a testing the waters scenario is uh, Karen Bass. And uh, of course, <laughs> here in Florida, uh, that name is not going to go over very well, given her history for uh, some comments she's made on Fidel Castro. Um, do you guys think it's going to be any of these kind of names that have been floating around? I mean, we've seen surprises kind of come with these VP announcements before. Um, I, you know, I certainly uh, don't remember uh, the expectation of Biden being a VP choice. Um, we, Sarah Palin, you know, when McCain announced her as a, a VP on the ticket, you know, I, that was a big shock to everybody. Uh, or do we think it's going to be kind of uh, one of the names on, on this list he has here? Nabil, go ahead. I don't think the Democrats are creative enough not to uh, balloon test these names. I still think it would be Stacey Abrams, honestly. I think she comes from a southern state. I think she can win him Alabama if, they, if they're playing. Like, that's the thing. What game is the um, Biden? She's from Georgia. Oh, from Georgia. I'm sorry. So she's from Georgia. Or like, she might win Alabama. She, I don't know. <laughs> but this is the thing. I don't know. What Biden might playing. think he's in Alabama. <laughs> like, are they playing the like the populist game when it comes to the, the popular vote, or are they playing the electoral vote? Because if you're playing the electoral vote, then you get someone in Florida, from Texas, from Georgia, some of those states, Iowa. I mean, you already have Biden, who's from a small and off of the coast of the United States. And then the other people that you're looking for is what Kamala Harris in California, who couldn't even win her own state. You have Elizabeth Warren still in the mix for some odd reason. Uh, Gretchen Wiener is actually probably the better choice being in the state that she's from, but then she's white. And so right now, white doesn't work for the Democrats at the moment. So I don't know how this is going to work. So I think Susan Rice has so many more skeletons in her closet, um, maybe just on par with Hillary Clinton in, regard, in regards to the body count that people haven't started counting yet. So I don't know. I would be fascinated to see. I'm again, who is picking? Biden's not picking anyone. It's the leadership of the Democratic Party, who's the puppets of Biden. Uh, they really want Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. I don't think Joe Biden wants her, but I think they're going to push her. I've been told that Susan Rice and him worked very well together, but it makes no sense to pick Susan Rice. The only person that makes sense is as as is Adams. Well, I mean, you know, and I'll agree with you on the, in the fact that, you know, Rice has a lot of baggage. I mean, she's certainly the more diplomatic of the bunch. Um, she is, I think, um, certainly someone that's not going to rock the boat. She's a, a safe choice, but she has a lot of uh, baggage when it comes to having been part of the Obama administration. And people are going to have to decide, you know, if they want remnants of the Obama administration to come back into the fold. Democrats do. Um, but I don't think she gets it done for progressives uh, or the far left of the party, uh, whereas someone that's a little bit more of a fighter, you know, now you're looking at a, a Karen Bass, who I think appeases the far left, um, but not the moderate uh, wing of the party. And then you look at Abrams. I think Abrams would placate both the far left and the moderate left of the party. Um, you know, but again, you know, she couldn't win a statewide election. Um, and, you know, can she deliver Georgia uh, or much less any state in the South? And that's going to be a big problem for her. Uh, Lakata, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think at the end of the day, he's going to choose Susan Rice um, for the reasons you just said. She's she's the safe choice. Um, she doesn't rock the boat. And if, you know, if he goes with any of the other names that have been floated, um, I, I think moderate Dems. Uh, don't vote for him in November, right? I think they sit on their hands in November. They go, what's the probability that he makes it through a full term? What's the probability that this far lefty becomes president? I, you know, I, I, I remember the summer of 2016, you know, and a lot of people know I was not uh, a, a Trump fan uh, prior, to, uh, prior to the general. And, 
you know, part of the reason that I came over is because, you know, Trump picked a solid dude as a VP. And, and that showed me his judgment ability. That showed me the, 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 kind of, the kind of justices he would appoint. That showed me the kind of people that would be on his cabinet. That showed a lot. So that was the reason that, that I voted for Donald Trump in 2016. So it, it's, you know, I, I, there's a lot on this decision. I think the party is just too fractured. I think the Democratic Party is just too fractured for him to make any kind of good decision. And especially with the whole question of his cognitive ability, now, now it means more than just, oh, it's a second person on the ticket. It, it, you know, for, for Barack Obama, picking Joe Biden was, was really advantageous because no one ever wanted Joe Biden to be president. Um, back in 2008, no one, no one wanted Joe Biden to be president. And then now look where we are. Um, so, so picking Joe Biden as a VP was, was a very you know, smart move because it consolidated power and, and consolidated name ID with the top of the ticket and paid no attention to the bottom of the ticket. Now that well, this also, but also, split. Chris, I mean, Biden coming on to the Obama ticket really was a way of, uh, you know, putting people at ease with such a young uh, presidential candidate, someone that hadn't even finished his first Senate term, you know, and so he brought a lot of experience and he brought, uh, you know, the Democrat Party legacy, you know, to the equation, you know, and, and, and this, I kind of got ahead of myself in terms of where I was going to take the conversation, but typically the VP pick, and, and you know, we should all be thinking about this, balances out the deficiencies of, of the, the presidential candidate. That being said, I think much like they did with Sarah Palin and John McCain, um, we got to think about if, if, it, if, if everything that, that's being assumed or talked about Joe Biden's health is true, you know, are we ready to have his, whoever that VP pick is as president? And that's where I think you get a big no on Stacey Abrams, Susan Rice, Kamala Harris, you know, that, that have a little bit more of that cabinet level experience might be a better option. But this is where, this is where I think, you know, you can start to narrow it down a little bit. And uh, I think people, this yeah. is, and I'm sorry to, cut, uh, to jump in real quick, but this is where the Democrats cut their own foot off before they even got into the race by pigeonholing the automatic VP as a woman of color, you automatically cut yourself off. I would have loved to have seen a Pete Buttigieg. Honestly, if your goal is to have a vice president that has the, that fills in the gaps of a president, then you get someone young that's eloquently spoken, someone that can rival up the base of the Democrat Party and the progressives. And the Pete Buttigieg, even though we hated him as a candidate, would probably be the best person, honestly, to be in that position to give it fire, to give it energy and everything else. He, off on that. He, he might like, be the pick, though. He might be the pick because he identifies as an African-American female. And that's the thing, though. You, <laughs> now that you've pigeonholed yourself as a Democrat to these candidates, and all of them are horrible picks, whereas before you did it, the, the Republicans and Democrats didn't do it before then, they didn't give you a notion, oh, it's going to be a woman. It's going to be a woman of color placating to the to your base not with a vice president it's to it's to build to show i think that's a really good point and pete Buttigieg would be a real smart pick to put on the ticket but like they've already pigeonholed they've already yeah. eliminated that option and who was the guy from texas the 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 non-hispanic that's the thing you would have and that would have solidified a ticket that we see now but kamala harris has a problem with that she was an AG. You have a problem with uh, Val. You have a problem with a lot of these people that it will never work because now police are bad in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And you're going to piss them off. You get a Kamala Harris, you're going to lose the 5 to 10% of the progressive left that is not going to want to vote for someone that was in uh, the police department. Well, and well, I think you make to... a good point in terms of, aside from obviously the limitations they put on themselves, Ideally, in this kind of a situation, to put the public at ease, you would want a congressman, a senator, or a governor, you know, that has, you know, again, some of that experience to bring to the table, and none of them do, um, you know, other than Kamala Harris, but again, given her past as AG, you know, is very controversial, and given the current environment, the anti-police sentiment out there on the left, I think you'd find it really hard 
to bring you know that far left fringe um, into the fold uh, to to vote for someone like Kamala Harris. Lakata. Even yeah, sorry. Uh, even someone like Gavin Newsom out in California um, would you know? Don't get me wrong. I, I would vote for that in a million years, but it it would balance out the ticket. He's you know younger. He he's full of energy. He you know. He, he's from a safe blue state, so he gets the, the, the blue check mark next to his name. You know, um, you know, so I think progressives would be welcoming to that. I, I think it would balance out the ticket from, and he's not like a, a super, I mean, he is a super crazy progressive, but the, the, the Democratic middle doesn't think of him as a super crazy progressive. Um, you have so he, to remember, he said nice things about Donald Trump giving him ventilators. So that's a, that's a campaign oh, yeah. I had right there. So you just cut <laughs> off Gavin Newsom right there. Yep. I, no, I but that's, that's making, definitely somebody, that's definitely somebody we're going to be talking about in the next four, eight, you know, 12 years. Um, I mean, he just, he's too full of himself to not be in the conversation. I mean, the guy literally looks like a dejected Hollywood uh, celebrity, you know, that basically, you know, sought out politics as an alternative career path. I mean, and, yeah, and but the Democrats haven't submitted a good Democrat governor for president in a very long time. It's always been congressmen or senators, and they've always been very short term. So I, I don't think the ticket, I honestly, with all these picks, I don't see it benefiting the ticket whatsoever. If anything, it causes more problems than not. And I'm looking forward to seeing which, the implosion of the ticket. Which is why he's yeah. waiting. Which so, is why he's waiting. Because he doesn't he's not waiting. He doesn't he doesn't know that he has to pick someone. <laughs> that's wrong. <laughs> well, well, that's kind of yeah, going but, to what I was gonna say in my in my bit here. Um I think as far as the VP pick goes, this, this is his campaign right now. He gets to sit in his basement and meditate over who he's going to pick. And as far as I'm concerned, there is no enthusiasm in either party about vice president. Like when Trump was picking his VP, I could, I really didn't give a damn that Mike Pence is our VP. I mean, I like him now after I know what he's, knowing what he's done. But I don't think VP is something that's going to really push enthusiasm unless it's someone really controversial. Um, and, that, and then it could hurt you if it's someone who's too controversial, like uh, Stacey Abrams. Um, I will say liberals and, and uh, Democrats are not voting for Joe Biden. They're voting against Donald Trump. You have to remember that. Um, right. When you guys talk about getting the moderate Democrats, getting the, uh, the extreme left uh, on board, um, as far as, this is an anecdote, obviously it's not uh, statistically relevant, but that's our podcast, not relevant. Um, <laughs> as far as the, uh, my, my, my orbit, I don't know many moderate leftists or more, more moderate Democrats. I will say the majority, I'd say five or seven to one, are more extreme left. So I don't think that picking someone moderate is going to help Joe Biden a whole hell of a lot. Um, it's just like the the um, the, paper, the, um, the protection uh, from. Sorry, it's just like the uh, the the aid Trump's going to get. Uh, it's like the aid Trump's going to give out. Um, yes. The financial support. Oh, no one's going to, going to, it's going to save the people from leaving our party is what's going to happen. No, I completely agree well, with you, Chris, that it's only going to, to stabilize, if anything else. I will say, though, I, for some reason, I know a lot of progressive lefts and very far left individuals. And the fact that you're thinking of Kamala, you're thinking of Rice, you're thinking of um of elizabeth warren or even a vow is is so detrimental to them that they won't vote they won't vote for him they won't vote for either party and i think that's right. where there's going to be a line in the sand of that that two to three percent that will not vote for joe biden because they know they're not going to get anything out of him when it comes to the progressive right you have 90 percent of wall street that's backing uh, joe biden that's going to be great for the anarchists that are trying to overthrow portland and seattle right now and even chicago yeah. Let me go ahead and throw a little curveball into the scenario here because uh, I've got a new setup here. So I've actually got you know, a, a second screen uh, running. And uh, just now on Twitter from the New York Times, Joe Biden expected to announce his choice of running mate in the coming days. They're tossing out Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan as a potential oh. contender, which, you know, it makes sense. That, 
I, I mean, I, I was just saying that, right? You need a governor, a senator, a congressperson, right? Of, you know, but do they shoot themselves in the foot by having promised that it would be a woman of color? So you're going to piss off the black community immediately. Right. BLM is going to be so upset. And again, this could be just another a weather balloon test to see what the reaction is with, with the Whitmer. Uh, she is a governor. She is a female. She's from a state that Trump does really need to win and yeah. Biden really needs to win. So it's one of those swing states that it needs to fall into one of the categories for them to win the Electoral College. I think it, it's the smartest play, but you've built up such a demand for a, a woman of color that if you don't give it to the masses, the woke left loves nothing but to eat themselves when it comes to the candidates and the people of this cancel culture. And they'll do it to Joe Biden and they won't care because they just, they don't care. They don't see the long-term effects. So I think she, I think she's the, one of the smartest picks, but within their group, they'll, they'll destroy her. I mean, look, let's be honest. I, I mean, when you look at what the Democrat party has done to its base time and time again, you know, the Bernie bros, um, you know, and uh, the Hispanic community, the black community, you know, they, they're not known for really listening to the base of their party. Um, and so in this case, I wouldn't be surprised if that's who they end up going with, you know, because she does check off a lot of boxes and she is a much safer choice than any of the other women that we've talked about. But I, I agree with you, especially right now in the height of the cancel culture, uh, I think it, it's very tricky territory uh, to go to walk back your promise of picking a woman of color. Does picking a woman, you know, uh, take it far enough? Uh, Lakata and uh, Burkhan, want to chime in before we move on? Yeah, I want to push back on Burkhan's uh, comment of, of that people are going to vote against uh, Trump. A lot of moderate Dems or, or progressive Dems, you know, the, the other side is just going to vote against Trump. And the one thing I'll give to that is um, looking at Johnny's poster in the background from 2012. And, and I think three out of four of us, I don't know if you were there, Burke Island, but we were all there. And, and it was a fun time. But the, the thing is, in 2012, which was a re-election year, most Republicans were voting against Barack Obama. And Republicans had picked an amazing ticket in the, the then Mitt Romney. Yeah, not today's Mitt Romney. <laughs> the then Mitt Romney, right? Um, and we still lost, you know. So, so it's it's elections are fickle things. It's it's but not a fickle thing though. You had a a recovering economy. You had upbeat in job in jobs um, reports that were happening. Uh, the vice president pick for Romney was not as strong as people thought he was going to be. I mean, he did horrible in the debates uh, with Joe Biden. <laughs> of all people. And at the end of the day, it's very difficult to oust a incumbent president. We haven't seen it since 42, 41. So, I mean, it has been a while since we've seen that kind of ousting. And that was- 92, 92. Yeah, and so that was, no, no, I mean like president number 42. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And so- <laughs> and so I think it will be interesting to see where that falls under in regards to how the vice president kicks uh, for the Democrat. Today, it is very difficult to get rid of an incumbent, especially when they have 90%, 92% of their party pushing for them. And again, we are right now in the same number game with the polls uh, that happened with Hillary Clinton and Trump. And again, and you're seeing all these cities around the country, all these Democrat-led cities, falling apart and pissing off their electorate and pissing mm -hmm. off their and everything else and business owners. And that silent majority is starting to spring up bigger and bigger. And these people don't answer the phone. They don't respond to poll, uh, poll, uh, people that are taking polls. And you'll be, I think we'll be very surprised. I, again, I can't wait for the October surprise, though. I, I am fascinated to see how that's going to fall. Well, I'll just add this onto what you were just saying, because I actually loved, you know, the Romney Ryan ticket, but there was such a hunger to pick someone outside of the establishment, you know, yes. which has obviously led to, uh, you know, the, the, the coming of Donald J. Trump, uh, that I think that left really the base of the party let down. I think they, they just, they saw Romney, establishment guy, you know, long political history in his family, and they saw Ryan, the sitting congressman, you know, obviously kind of what we thought at the time was gonna be the future of the party. I certainly never saw him leaving Congress, 
Um, but they, they were too safe of a pick. I think if they had brought in some kind of a business person, somebody, you know, again, that was kind of elect, uh, an outsider that would have electrified the base, uh, I think that, you know, 2012 could have been a lot different. But I, don't, I still don't think you'd de- defeat uh, Barack Obama simply for, you know, the reasons that Anibal outlined and a lot more. Uh, Burke Island. Well, I think that the whole tweet you just saw about Gretchen Whitmer, I think that's just Joe Biden in his basement throwing the whole – colander of spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks like how about these people let's let's see if they like them like it's just his way of yelling up the stairs to his mom i'm doing stuff down here i'm getting my work done and that's like his campaign right now um joe biden is working on a puzzle at the moment (laughs) joe biden's not making these decisions no one in that basement is making this decision it's a bunch of consultants around grandma's uh, kitchen table in the living room making these decisions and seeing and testing what's happening but the thing that focus groups it's all focus groups exactly no joe biden's working on the puzzle and now let's talk about gretchen whitmer anyone who is against go ahead no i was just gonna say that you know you're absolutely right there's gonna be a lot of polling uh this week on gretchen whitmer they're gonna they're gonna test the wins and see if there's going to be a lot of blowback meaning that she's not a woman of color um but uh you know again this could give them a false sense of security um that that you know she would be a much safer pick uh and a much less controversial pick uh but again i mean you just you can never predict you know what what that kind of a decision was going to make what were you going to say be being from Michigan, um, I've seen a lot of hate for Gretchen Whitmer from Democrats and Republicans alike because of the whole her handling of the uh, the lockdowns and the mask mandates. She is the epitome of the meme. Could be two more months, you know. Do you want it to be more? If you keep on bothering about it, that is what she is in Michigan, and I think it would be a huge embarrassment and a huge detriment to them on election day when Michigan is lost because they elected. Gretchen Whitmer. So I think she's too risky. She she can't be VP. It just depends on the game that they're playing. If they're playing the populist game, then they're gonna they're gonna get someone that is a female from a, a African American community. If they're playing the electoral game, which they should be playing the electoral game to win the presidency, then they will probably pick her. And if there isn't that much pushback, then um, they probably will pick her if there's not that much uh, response uh, to in the tomorrow's edit- editorial pages. But I well, think, hate her. I think they lose the whole. I think they lose the whole election if they pick someone like her. I think that's that doesn't make any sense at all. And if you pick someone from California or Sarah or Rice, I think it's a it's a disaster. Well, I mean, again, you got somebody that you know uh, would easily go after Trump because she's already done it. Um, but my only caveat is to what Verkhalen just said, you know, and adding on that uh, Michigan is a weird state. I mean, we're mm-hmm. talking about this is the state that elected Jesse Ventura you know, to be governor of the state. Uh, and so good choices are not well, in the Wrong history. end state. Uh, yeah, I no, That's next door. Oh, was it? was next door. Minnesota. Oh, you're right. It was Minnesota. All right. So anyways, well, that kind of ruins my uh, my narrative there. But no, but in, in all fairness, we'll fix it in I, post. I think if not for the promise, I think she would be maybe their best choice. Um, it's just a matter of, and this, I can assure you, this is what they're testing. Is how much of a blowback She's the wicked witch of the West, her. as far as I'm concerned? Yeah, could be. You know, I mean, and and but go ahead. I say the repercussions uh, happen after she is uh, set as the vice president. I think they won't go crazy on her being like that. These next few days, I think there are going to be a lot of glowing reports. Again, if that's what the if that's what they want, they're going to push the narrative to have her. But what's going to happen is the same thing that happened with the Black Lives Matter with the city council situation in Tampa is that the reaction of not listening to your, your, your toddler uh, throwing a temper tantrum on the side of the, on the sidewalk is that they're going to go out for blood. And, and they're going to say that because they didn't pick a woman of color then they're not going to vote for, for Joe Biden. I won't be surprised at all if they go, again, if they eat their own and they, they, torpedo, they try to torpedo the Joe Biden, um, the ticket. And that will do two, one of two things. Either the Democrats in the future will never listen to the BLM movement or they will try to bring them into the whole thing. So that's what I see happening if they, if they do pick Whitman. 
No, look, the irony uh, and the laughable irony of that in all of this is that, you know, you have the left and you have the BLM movement, uh, you know, talking about how awful their elected officials are when the majority of the people that they're complaining about are Democrats and that they're going to continue to elect Democrats, you know. Oh, yeah. And so they're literally just, you know, again, it's just going around in circles chasing their own tail. Um, but uh, I'm sure they're, uh, they're not listening to that at all. Um, so let's talk about primary elections. We have quite a bit of them here in Florida that are heavily contested. We have a lot of Republicans who are here. I'll put you up on the screen there, Nebel. Um, uh, who a lot of contested races, especially these congressional races, are running six you know, or more candidates deep in some cases. Uh, we've kind of narrowed down the field here in the Tampa Bay area, you know, in Pinellas. Um, uh, but, you know, a lot of Republicans uh, looking to either replace other Republicans or uh, or unseat, you know, vulnerable Democrats. And, and, you know, the tricky thing is right now is between the coronavirus situation and what's happening in the BLM movement and racial equality and that whole argument is which of these becomes the pertinent issue when people go to the voting booth. Uh, because I think that's going to sway people to your moderates, your independents, you know, to decide whether to vote Republican or Democrat. Because obviously, if you feel DeSantis and Trump have mishandled COVID, then you may be voting Democrat, you know, for some of the people on the ticket. Now, if you're more concerned about, you know, the racial inequality and BLM movement and all that kind of stuff, again, that's going to sway your vote as well. So which, which of these primary elections are you guys watching that you think, you know, are going to have kind of the biggest impact or maybe a surprising outcome. I'll let uh, Needle go first. I am very concerned about uh, D15 with Ross Spano. I think that's going to be a quite interesting race to see what's happening just because there is a lot of things happening in DC that are causing uh, issues within that campaign when it comes to what's going to happen, the fallout of his decision for the financial campaign, uh, campaign finance uh, regulations that they broke. All of that is still in play. I still, I think Ross Panel will win his race, but I think it's just damaging more and more of what's going to happen. We might lose D15 completely. And then in regards to Pinellas County, Pinellas, Pasco, uh, in regards to Luna and uh, who's the other woman? Mackey. Amanda Mackey. Uh, Amanda Mackey. I think there are two very strong females. I think whichever one comes out of that race uh, will give Chris a really big running for his position, but there are two different individuals. One is very social media savvy with the young millennials and very pushing that new uh, new dynamic. And then you have Mackie, who is is at the end of the day someone that is is a, is a Washington uh, is from Washington is able to to do what she needs to get done, and she can raise the money. And in that kind of race, when you're going against uh, Charlie Chris, you need to raise the money because that's the only way to to affect that race. Well, speaking of Pinellas County, uh, you know, both of our uh, other two guys on the show here live out there. So, Rakhine, what's kind of the pulse in your neighborhood for that race? Yeah. Oh, man. So, I've been debating this, this race long and hard. I, I really liked Amanda Mackey because she knows what the hell she's doing. She'll get in and hit the ground running. I like Annalyn because she's an outsider. Uh, I actually draw toward the fact that someone has not spent their entire life in this career and doesn't plan to make it their entire career. So, oh man, it is a tough race. I hate to say I don't know yet, but I really don't. Um, I know that Charlie Christie is very vulnerable, and I think that the U.S. House is important to making sure conservative agenda is moved forward uh, coming after the election. Um, I would honestly, I can take guidance from anyone right now on who to choose. Um, both very well, strong women. Go ahead. No, I was just going to add this. I mean, look, I mean, I mean, when he was governor, I mean, Charlie Chris was known as a moderate. He was known as, you know, kind of the, the, the people's governor, if you will, right? Um, you know, and, and that was, you know, again, favorable at the time. That was just the temperature that we were in. Um, I'll, I'll kind of add my two cents on Anna Paulina Luna and, and Amanda Mackey, but I want to go to Lakata first who, you know, also you've lived in Pinellas County, you do a lot of work there. And, and so what's, what's your feeling on the temperature there in that, in that primary? Yeah, that's quite an interesting primary. They, they had, I think up to seven people in that race at one point in time. Now I think they're back down to four. Um, 
Uh, I think at the end of the day, Mackie's going to pull it out and Mackie should pull it out if we want to win that seat whatsoever. Uh, Luna is a very interesting candidate. Um, I, I understand what is, uh, you know, what is desirable about her as a candidate, um, but that's just not that district. And that, at the end of the day, you just have to, you have, you have to understand where you are. You're, you're, you're not in Congressional District 19, which is another one we should probably talk about if we have the time. You know, um, you know, you're not in Congressional District One, um, where you have Matt Gates. So it, it's you know, you have to understand where you are. Uh, as a very purple seat is very obtainable for us to win it. We just have to run the right person, and that person's Amanda Mackey, in my opinion. So, um, as for 15, Spano should lose. Um, is probably going to lose. Uh, and I don't say that because I dislike him or anything like that. Um, I've just been following that race very, very closely. And uh, for a sitting congressman to only raise what he's raised, um, you might say, oh, it's a lot of money. But it's like, yeah, no, but none of it's D.C. money. Um, you know, D.C. has kept their, their wallets closed to that race. And they're waiting to see how that primary turns out to then flood that race to make sure it stays R. I agree. I think DC is definitely holding back when it's first when it comes to uh, DC 15. Uh, I, however, I think Ross Battle is going to pull it out. He has the history. He has the connections to the community. And the person that's running against him is not the strongest candidate. And the, the person that's running the Democrats, he is not the strongest candidate either. I mean, he left, was it uh, D59 uh, for, to, to go up there, which was stupid. But it gives it gives the opportunity to take back that Florida House seat, D fifty nine, with Michael Owen, who's probably going to win his congressional his uh, House seat, uh, Florida House seat, and I think that's going to be an interesting one. The other ones I kind of are, are pretty interesting is the sheriff seat that I think um, uh, Boswell is 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 really starting to pick up steam in regards to that particular race. I still think uh, Cronister pulls it out, but I think it's it's showing how upset some of the the base is. With Chronister, for as much love as we gave him in the last election, a lot of people are very upset. I don't think he'll, I don't think he'll lose, but I think it shows that he needs to come back to the base. And but I also agree with his position that the local uh, REC is what's pushed him and a lot of other Republicans away from the local, the local races because no one can deal with that group of people, and it's causing more pain and suffering within the Republican Party of Hillsborough County. So let me go ahead and then jump in here because, uh, you know, I, I actually worked on uh, both of Ross Spano's state house campaigns. And, you know, I, I think Ross is a great guy, obviously made uh, mistakes, you know, to what extent? I mean, I, I can't say. Um, but yeah, I mean, the 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 CRNC, um, you know, is obviously holding back, you know, which has made things a lot more difficult, but an incumbent is still an incumbent. And I think he's going to be incredibly difficult to beat, especially since Scott Franklin jumped in so late in the race. Um, he's come out swinging. Um, but again, I, I think he also might be kind of pushing a little too hard from what I'm hearing um, in certain circles in regards to some of the mailers and phone calls and things that he's putting out there. Uh, I think Ross pulls out the win. It's maybe the most vulnerable that seat is is going to be and has been in a long time. Um, but uh, barring any other unforeseen news, I think Ross pulls out the win. Uh, now, as far as Pinellas goes, uh, look, I, I mean, I echo what a lot of you guys said. Uh, you know, I think Anna Paulina Luna brings a lot of uh, great energy and uh, an excitement to that race. Um, she's certainly a firebrand, and I think she would win easily in most races, I think. But, uh, you know, that district is not most races. It's a very purple district, and I think she may be too hardcore to the right. You know, she, you know, and, and too much of a Trump supporter, you know, um, right now uh, to appeal to that moderate centrist uh, purple voter in that in Pinellas County, uh, whereas Amanda Mackey has the experience, she has the pedigree, uh, you know, which obviously some have used to attack her. But I think it's also what makes her a much better option in a, in my eyes uh, to someone who may be reconsidering their vote uh, for Charlie Crest. So I think Amanda Mackey pulls out the win. That's going to be my prediction um, as to whether or not she can be Charlie. Man, that's that's it's such a steep hill to climb. Yeah, yeah, and, and we'll get to the cross that bridge so when we get there. The, 
the question should be is which one of them can beat Charlie? Which one's more likely to beat Charlie? And, and I think I, I Luna. Think I think Luna would be more more able to rile up the base than uh, Mackie. I, I love both of these female candidates uh, very well. I think this is going to be a test in regards to how social media plays in local races. I think they're putting a lot of money in local races when it comes to social media, especially now that they can't really campaign like normal. So it'll be interesting to see who wins that. But whoever wins, gets out of it will have to literally do door-to-door in the last two months of this election cycle to, up, up, um, to, to pull out a win against Charlie Chris. Yeah, and, uh, you know, other than that, the other race, you know, and I, I don't – I'm not able to get too deep in the weeds there, you know, but just kind of on a personal note, uh, Byron Donald's running, you know, who we've actually interviewed uh, the yard sign has, you know, here, um, you know, seemingly kind of the front runner right now. Uh, it's going to be a race, a pretty close race between him and Dane Eagle, uh, both great choices. Um, but again, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out um, because uh, it's uh, both guys really qualified for, for that seat and uh, bring a lot of youth and energy, uh, you know, to that part of the state. And so um, I'd be happy with either one, but obviously we've got to vouch for my boy Byron and, and hope that he pulls out a W. Uh, guys, we got to wrap it up. Well, we, we've kind of gone a little long today. Uh, thanks again to the Chris's. Uh, Verkylan, Lakata, for joining us on today's show. Uh, never a dull moment with you guys. And, of course, as always, Anibal Cabrera. Um, uh, we will be back next week. Uh, really quick, if you can, in just a single word answer, what story are you watching, Anibal? Belarus and Hong Kong's new criminal laws. Okay. Uh, Lakata. Primary elections in Florida. All right. Verkylan? We've, we've covered them all. Uh, <laughs> make America skate again. That's what we're worried about right now. Right, I'm, I'm watching the sports situation still, especially when it comes to college Oh, football. yes. Yes. Oh, um, so I've been watching the, the hockey players kneeling thing, and that's kind of pissed me off. I've been a lifelong fan of the NHL. I play hockey. I love hockey. But watching them allow – they were the last bastion of uh, patriotism in, in national sports. And to see them allow someone to kneel – um, during the U.S. anthem, but stand for the Canadian anthem really pissed me off. So um, if it weren't for my fiance, we wouldn't be watching hockey in the, in the household right now. Um, but I'm working on getting that to be not the case. No, didn't you know there's no racism in Canada? Come on now. Um, all right, the, on big, behalf- the Big Ten, baby. What's wrong with them? Okay, yeah. for these guys. All right. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube and follow the audio podcast on Google, Apple, Spotify.